Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Good morning, everyone. This is our fifth message on understanding spiritual gifts, and we want to get back into the study today, and uh, we trust that the Lord will use this message along with the other ones to build up his church. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit as we look at your word and what it says concerning spiritual gifts. Help us, Father, to listen carefully, help us to learn, and then help us to put into practice what we learn, uh, again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that the church might be built up in the days to come. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we closed our last session with an illustration having to do with uh, a speck of dust when it blows into your eye. And we spoke of how your hand and finger instinctively reaches for your eye to try and give it some relief. And of course, physically and medically, much more is involved than just your hand and eye. Your brain is working, your central nervous system, your arm and various muscles, etc., all are involved. All of that to illustrate the fact that every part of the body is dependent on the other parts of the body. That's true both physically and spiritually. An anonymous author looked at this concept in this way. He said, one time a man broke his left arm. One night, not sleeping well, he dreamed of a dialogue between the right and left hands. The right hand said, left hand, you are not missed. Everybody's glad it was you and that was broken and not me. Everybody's glad it was you. You are not very important, he said. The left hand asked, how are you superior? And the right hand replied, why, my owner cannot write a letter without me. The left hand said, but who holds the paper which, on which he writes? Then the debate grew in intensity. The right hand said, who swings the hammer? The left hand said, who holds the nail? The right hand said, who guides the plane when the carpenter smooths a board? The left hand said, yes, but you don't do that one-handed, do you? You know it takes us both. And the right hand said, yes, but when our owner walks down the street and lifts his hat to greet someone, which of us does it? The left hand said, who holds the briefcase while he does it? And then he continued, let me ask you a question. When our owner shaved yesterday, you held up the razor, but his face is cut because I wasn't there to help. Also, our owner's watch has stopped. Why? You may do the winding, but if I'm not there to hold it, the watch won't get wound. You can't take money out of his wallet to pay for something because I'm not there to hold it. Our master can do very, th very few things without me. So too, when you think about it, does each of us have a place of service for the Lord? In Christ's body, none is greater, just different. And we all need each other to function properly. 
Today we'll be looking at that principle plus more. And as you know, we're in the midst of looking at 25 principles or truths that the Bible presents with regard to spiritual gifts. So far, we've covered eight of them. We've looked at their importance, and I'm just going to list them here uh, because you've got the outline. We've looked at their importance, their source. We've looked at their counterfeiting, their definition. We've looked at their recipients. We've also looked at their terminology, things like energizings. They're called energizings or effects or operations, services or ministries, manifestations, grace gifts. We looked at their goal and purpose. They are given to believers, spiritual gifts are, for the purpose of building strength and unity and effectiveness in the body of Christ so that the Lord will be glorified. And then in our last session, we also talked about their practical benefits. Because we mentioned when Christians know and understand, discover and exercise their spiritual gifts, they will see a dramatic increase in their motivation to serve, their effectiveness in service, and their sense of personal satisfaction. And this brings us to yet another very important principle regarding spiritual gifts, and that is their designation. Spiritual gifts are designated for serving other members of the body of Christ, not the one who possesses the gift. Excuse me. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are designated for serving other members of the body of Christ, not the one who possesses the gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we read, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That is the common good of others, not myself or not ourselves. The New King James Version says of that same verse, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Or the King James says for uh, to profit with all. But it's for the profit of all. It's for the common good. That's the idea. Spiritual gifts are not for self-edification, but for serving and edifying the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are for others, not for self. We also read in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, not ourselves, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It is also true that spiritual gifts are not to be exercised independently or in isolation. You know, sometimes I will hear people say with reference to speaking in tongues, they'll say something like, oh, well, I don't use the spiritual gift in the church. I just use it in the privacy of my prayer closet because it's my private prayer language. Well, wait a minute. If the purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify and build up and strengthen others in the body of Christ, then a private prayer language in your private prayer closet just doesn't fly biblically. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3-5, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that spiritual gifts, including the gift of languages, in his day, were to be exercised so that the church would be edified. 
Plus, if that gift were going to be exercised in the assembly, it was required that there be an interpreter. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 14, and I want to read verses 3 through 5. Just give me a moment to get there. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 to 5 says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies or preaches than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Also look at verses 20 through 25 of that same chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 to 25 says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy, excuse me, prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. And so you can see that uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is telling us that the gift of prophecy or preaching is far more important than the gift of tongues, because in this way, the church can be edified. As we think about that, it's It's not going to do anyone any good for me to go home and stand in front of the mirror and preach and teach my sermons and studies to myself. Spiritual gifts are to be exercised and expressed to others so that others may be edified. They were never intended for selfish use. So spiritual gifts are not for self-edification, or to be exercised in private. But also, a third point, spiritual gifts and their exercise enable us to learn and practice the principle of spiritual reciprocity. And we've talked about this term before. You may remember it from our first session. We talked about Mount Hermon and the water flowing down from the mountain, going into the Jordan River, forming the Jordan River, really, and then finally into the Dead Sea. And the principle of spiritual reciprocity basically says, God gave to us so that we can give to others. 
Briefly, let me mention a few biblical illustrations of that principle. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. As Jesus was addressing and commissioning his 12 apostles and sending them out to serve, he gave them this basic instruction. Freely you have received, freely give. That is, don't charge for your ministry. You take the free and gracious blessings that I've given to you and freely share them with others. Jesus wanted them to be free and generous givers as they traveled among the people of their own land. And he wants the same of us. One man said this, Too many grace givers have never yet experienced the joy and deep satisfaction of being a grace giver. Now, I may have said that wrong. Let me say that again. I think I quoted that wrong. Actually, he said, too many grace receivers have never yet experienced the joy and deep satisfaction of being a grace giver. We want to be grace givers rather than only grace receivers. And of course, that is the situation. Uh, when that situation is true, uh, people miss out on many of God's greatest blessings. That is when they are grace receivers only and not grace givers, they miss out. Another biblical illustration of this is seen in the life of Abraham or Abram. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so shall you be a blessing. And then at the end of verse 3, he said, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In a nutshell, God said to Abram, I will bless you, and then you will be a blessing. Why did God bless Abram? Well, besides his grand plan for the Messiah and the salvation of man through God's chosen people, God blessed Abram so that he could be a blessing to others. And we see the same principle again in 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter wrote, but you, writing to believers, of course, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think of it, just taking those phrases. You are that you may. You are that you may. You are a chosen race, etc., that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. And what happens when we do that? Well, people are saved. People are blessed. Others are helped. Lives are changed and transformed. We also read in uh, Romans 12, 1, uh, and see the same principle. It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable or logical service of worship. In other words, spiritual reciprocity is also seen there in Romans 12, 1. 
Therefore, by the mercies of God, on that basis, in other words, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is the logical and reasonable response to the mercies of God in salvation. You've received salvation, you've received God's grace and his mercies, therefore present your bodies to God. Our entire selves, in other words, God God gave us his mercies, so we're to give him our entire selves. We receive, thus we give. And I like what William MacDonald wrote. He said, we are not meant to be the terminals of God's gifts to us. His grace reaches us, but should not end with us. We are intended to be channels through whom the blessing can flow to others. In other words, we're not to be terminals, the ending point, but we are to be channels through which those blessings that we've received, can flow. Well, this points us then to uh, another point, number 10, principle or truth number 10 on your outline, their stewardship, their stewardship. Spiritual gifts are divinely given resources that every Christian has been entrusted with. And that's the key. We've been entrusted with those gifts. We are stewards. We're to manage those gifts. Uh, again, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards or good managers of the manifold grace of God. Why is being a good steward of our spiritual gifts such an awesome responsibility? Well, here's one reason, because every believer one day will give an account of his or her stewardship. Every believer one day will give an account for his or her stewardship. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, we're told that it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. Now, when God says things like that, does he mean it? Well, yes, of course he does. And if it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, then that assumes that there will one day be some kind of examination and accounting as to how we used or did not use the grace gifts that he gave to us. Thus, Romans 14.12, among other verses, states, So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. So what will we say when the Lord one day asks each one of us, what did you do with the spiritual gifts that I loaned to you, that I gave to you while you were a believer on earth, that I gave to you, that I entrusted to you to manage? What did you do with them? As one writer has written, quote, in the day of judgment will not be lauded for the magnificence of our mansions, the chrome on our cars, the size of our salaries, the far and wideness of our fame, but we will be praised if we can properly respond to the question, did you faithfully use the gifts I loaned to you? End of quote. 
Well, let's keep moving here. One of the wonderful things about spiritual gifts, number 11 on your list, is their strategy and genius. Spiritual gifts, though given by one God, generate unity through diversity. Spiritual gifts, though given by one God, generate unity through diversity. And here we would like to look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I want to read to you uh, verses 4 through 6. Romans 12, 4 through 6 says this, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. And we'll stop at that point. We've already looked at the fact that there are diverse gifts, yet the same spirit. There are diverse ministries or services, yet one in the same Lord. There are diverse effects, yet one in the same God. And diverse people, yet one in the same body, the body of Christ. In all of this, God creates unity through diversity. One illustration of that would be a football team. On the field, there are 22 players, 11 on each side in the game. They all come in different sizes and shapes. They all have different functions as players. They all have different skills and abilities. But as one single team, they have one objective, to get the ball across the goal line, score the most points, and win the football game. The same could be said of a baseball team or a hockey team or a basketball team. The one goal they all have as a team is to win the game. But there is much diversity in terms of the makeup and function of each individual player. And of course, the human body is the perfect and biblical illustration for the fact that God creates unity through diversity. The human body has so many different organs and parts, biological systems, uh, with totally different functions, yet all of them function together, usually, to create oneness and unity. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven and 28 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. The church of Christ is not just a bunch of unrelated and detached persons who happen to believe in the same Savior. Instead, we are a single living organism, the body of Christ, comprised of individual members who have been integrated into a unified whole. It is true when people of the church, uh, when people say of the church, we are an organism rather than an organization. And thus the word body suggests wholeness, coordination, cooperation, and unity. But it also implies diversity. That is different parts 
and different functions that all strive for one goal, and that is to do the will of Christ, the head. And so we have the following spiritual equation, if you will. If you're into math, a spiritual equation. Diverse people plus diverse gifts plus diverse ministries plus diverse effects plus one God equals unity in the one body of Christ. And that's the goal. Now, we may understand this doctrinally or in theory, but do we know this truth experientially? Does the assembly of which you are a part collectively have a strong sense of body consciousness? That is that you are all members, that we are all members of one single body, each affecting the others. Do you individually have a clear understanding of your particular function as a member of the body of Christ? Ephesians 4.25 says that we are members of one another. Is this merely an orthodox and biblical doctrine to you? Or is it a dynamic for living and serving Christ every day? Well, I trust it is that. Or if it is not, that it will become so. But please, let's note our 12th principle or truth concerning spiritual gifts. One that in many ways uh, we've been talking about already. Uh, When it comes to spiritual gifts, this principle has to do with their distinctiveness. Their distinctiveness. All Christians and all spiritual gifts are different and unique. Romans 12.4 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, and by the way, it's not the word office, as the King James says, all the members do not have the same function. Let me read it again. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. In fact, we can see that truth in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 31. Let's take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 31. It says this. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. In other words, that's a sample list of the spiritual gifts. And then Paul says this in verse 29, All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. And of course, that was the way of love that he goes on to talk about in chapter 13. All Christians have a unique function in the body of Christ. No one function is exactly the same. Just as with the human body, my heart is important, my hand is important, and my head is important. But my hand cannot do what my heart can do, namely 
pump blood, and my head does not do very well picking things up like my hand does. And my heart cannot see or hear or think or smell like my head can with its ears, brain, and nose. No, they all have a different function. And what this tells us is that not only not only that every member of the body of Christ is different and unique, but also that every member is necessary. Every member is necessary. Imagine the master carpenter's tools holding a conference. Just use your sanctified imagination a little bit. Brother Hammer presides, but several suggest he leave the meeting because he is too noisy. Brother Hammer replies, If I have to leave this shop, Brother Screw must also go. You have to turn him around again and again to get him to accomplish anything. Brother Screw then speaks up. If you wish, I'll leave, but Brother Plain must leave too. All his work is on the surface. His efforts have no depth. And to this, Brother Plain responds. Brother Ruler will also have to withdraw for he is always measuring folks as though he were the only one who is right. He's the standard. Brother Ruler then complains about Brother Sandpaper. He ought to leave too because he's so rough and always rubbing people the wrong way. And so goes the discord. In the midst of all this discussion, in walks the carpenter of Nazareth. He has arrived to start his day's work Putting on his apron, he goes to the bench to make a pulpit from which to proclaim the gospel. He uses brothers hammer, screw, plane, ruler, sandpaper, and all the other tools. After the day's work, when the pulpit is finished and the carpenter leaves, brother saw arises and remarks, Brethren, I observe that all of us are workers together with the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't do without any of you and the gifts that God has given to you. We need every one of you, and we need each other for each other's sake, for the sake of the well-being of the body. I cannot be all that I should be in the body without you and your gifts, functioning and being exercised. And you cannot be all that you can be unless I am faithful in exercising my gifts. That's just how it works, by the grace of God and by the design of God. Without each other, we are at best a crippled body, barely limping along, and at worst, we're either paraplegic or quadriplegic, paralyzed in terms of our usefulness. Now, some may wonder, but aren't the gifts kind of ranked in the Bible? Uh, where there are some more important than others? Well, to that I would say yes and no. Yes, Paul says, does say in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And in verse 31, he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. But if you study all of the 
chapter, all of chapter 12, you will find that he says that in the context of the Corinthians emphasizing the gift of tongues as being superior. But the fact of the matter is that spiritual gifts are ranked in Scripture according to God's sovereign design and what is most beneficial to an assembly as a whole. Now, that's letter C on your outline, that little statement there. Spiritual gifts are ranked in Scripture according to God's sovereign design and what is most beneficial to an assembly as a whole or to the church. That is how we should properly understand their rankings. For example, uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians would tell us that the gift of tongues or languages was a sign for the unbeliever, a sign that revealed God's condemnation of the Jews' unbelief. But he says the gift of prophecy was a gift for the believers, a gift that would edify the church. Therefore, in God's view and his design, prophecy was greater in the sense that it would make a greater impact in the church and would meet a greater need, namely that of edification. On the other hand, all the gifts, though unique, are necessary for the health of the whole body of Christ. So the bottom line is that God sovereignly determines what gifts are most beneficial to each assembly as a whole. And even though all the gifts are necessary as designed by God, he is the one who decides and designs which ones will impact the body and in what way and to what degree, all according to his will and his plan. You know, on a football team, back to our sports illustration, you have various positions, quarterback, center, the tackles and the guards, tight end, uh, the running backs, the punter, the kicker, etc., are all necessary. Yes. Do all impact the game in the same way? No. So once again, all the gifts, although different, are necessary for the health of the whole body of Christ. So with that in mind, let's talk uh, in more detail about Principle or truth number 13, their sovereign character. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed. And that means that Christians do not choose what gifts they will have, but God distributes spiritual gifts to whomever he wills. Let me put those two points together, A and B. Christians do not choose what gifts they will have, but instead God distributes spiritual gifts to whomever he wills. Let's take a look again at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11 says this, Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills, just as God wills. In other words, it's his sovereign choice 
to do it in the way that he wants to do it. And it reveals to us a couple of things. One, as individuals, we are not to seek for certain gifts for ourselves. That is, we don't decide, we don't decide what spiritual gifts we want or how many we want and then go to God asking for them. That is never seen in the scripture. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 18. He says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, for it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. You see, this is envy, really, right? Uh, Someone wishing that he were something other than what God made him. Verse 17 goes on to say, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? That would be utterly grotesque when you think about it. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? That's just as bad. But then notice verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired, just as he wills, just as he desired. Now, some will cite verses like 1 Corinthians 12.31, where Paul said, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Or 1 Corinthians 14.1, where he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And they say, see right there, says that you should desire the greater gifts. Well, yes, that is not, or that is true, but he doesn't mean for yourself not for yourself. And that's because when Paul uses the verb desire in the Greek, he's using the second person plural imperative. It's a command, but he's not using the second person singular. In other words, he is addressing the Corinthian believers corporately as an assembly, not as individual Christians. And he is basically saying you, plural, you as a group, you as an assembly, are to desire to have the greater gifts, such as prophecy, exercised in your midst. In other words, desire those gifts to be present and exercised in your midst. Then the whole church can be edified. If you think about it, it is far better that God sovereignly distributes spiritual gifts to those whom he chooses because he is obviously far wiser than we. And he has a perfect knowledge and awareness of exactly uh, what each local assembly needs. All too often the gifts and resources are already in place in a local assembly, but the need is for each believer to yield to the Spirit, as Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift which is in you. We're to yield to the Spirit and stir up the gift which is in us, the one that God sovereignly gave to us. So keep in mind that God sovereignly decides what gifts he will distribute and to whom. That's not our choice, but it's his. The next principle is very obvious and easy enough to understand. Number 14. That is their indispensability. 
Every spiritual gift and every spiritually gifted person is needed in the body of Christ. And this is this truth is seen in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 22. Verse 20 says, But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And we'll stop at that point. The key there is verse 22. The members of the body are necessary. And we've been saying this all along. That is, we can't do without them, the gifts of the Spirit. Therefore, we can't do without you, because you have gifts that the body of Christ needs. Just as every part of the physical body is necessary, as designed and created by God, so in the body of Christ, every member and his or her giftedness is necessary. Yes, you can live with only, in terms of physically, you can live with only one kidney or one ear or one eye, uh, one leg, etc., but your body will not function at the optimum, optimum level for which it was designed. You know, the medical world used to say that one appendix, that one's appendix was totally useless. You can get rid of your appendix and it's no problem. Uh, and they thought it was some evolutionary leftover from the past that we, we really don't need. Well, in recent years, scientists have changed their tune on that. And a number are now saying that the appendix actually has a purpose having to do with our immune system. Imagine that. Something that God created in our bodies has a purpose. We're not surprised, are we? What a great illustration of the fact that every member of the body of Christ is necessary and has a purpose. And this is even more obvious as we look at point number 15, their corruption. Their corruption. The exercising of spiritual gifts can be abused, ignored, perverted, and corrupted. Now, we've alluded to this a little bit already, but let me give you just a few examples of how this can work. The corruption or abuse or ignoring of spiritual gifts can occur for a number of reasons. One, it can happen due to dissatisfaction, envy, and or a sense of inferiority. It can happen due to dissatisfaction, envy, and or a sense of inferiority. This is where some can be so dissatisfied excuse me, so dissatisfied with their gifts that they envy others desiring to have what they do. Someone might think, well, I'm not much value to the body. Um, I only have the gift of helps, while so-and-so has the gift of evangelism or teaching. But you know, in a physical body, the mouth may seem to be important, but what is it that feeds the mouth? The hands, right? What is it that makes clothing and puts clothing on the body to keep it warm. Again, the hands. What is it that performs surgery or provides medical help when the body needs it? Again, the hands. 
Yes, I'd say those helping hands and the gift of helps uh, are very important to the rest of the body of Christ. And of course, our feet are important too. Where would we be without functioning feet? But a second uh, reason here for the corruption of gifts has to do with pride and or a sense of superiority. Not only inferiority, but a sense of superiority. And this again is 1 Corinthians 12, 21. And the eye cannot say to the feet, excuse me, to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In other words, you start getting proud and saying, well, only my gift is important. I don't need anybody else. I don't need any of the other gifts. Well, that's just not true either, is it? Um, we never want to get in that, into that situation where we think our gift or giftedness is the most important. Someone once wrote this, quote, the mountain does not speak ill of the river just because it is high and mighty, nor does the river scorn the mountain just because it moves swiftly and gracefully. They both are great in their own way, end of quote. Dr. Harry Ironside often spoke of the pathetic situation of those who felt they had the gift of preaching, but complained that no one had the gift of listening, end quote. Yes, pride and arrogance can really mess us up when it comes to effectively using our spiritual gifts. Uh, gifts can also be corrupted and abused, due to a false sense of weakness or seeming unimportance. This is another, uh, This is, well, I, I could say it this way, this is neither false humility or inferiority. And actually, I stated that wrong. Let me correct that. This is either false humility or inferiority, or it's both. This false sense of weakness or seemingly uh, the feeling of unimportance. Uh, let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians 12, 22 to 25. 22 to 25. Paul says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our and our unseemly members come to have a more abundant seemliness. He goes on to say, whereas, excuse me, He says, whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, and that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Again, that's 1 Corinthians uh, 12, chapter 12. verses 20 through through 25. 
Now, this may be experienced by those who have those behind-the-scenes kinds of gifts, this, sen- this false sense of weakness or seeming unimportance. Um, but think of it physically. Your kidneys, liver, heart, lungs, and brain don't get a whole lot of exposure, <laughs> we hope. But just try to live without them. And again, the seemingly weaker or more vulnerable parts of the body are necessary. Spiritual gifts and their use can also be corrupted or abused for another reason. Letter D on your outline. Due to fleshly and self-seeking motives. Fleshly and self-seeking motives. You know, I think of Simon the Magician who in Acts chapter 8 verses 12 to 24 after seeing great, uh, after seeing certain spiritual gifts of healing, he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read of Peter's scathing rebuke in that chapter. And people today, whether certain tele-evangelists or TV pastors or faith healers, claim to serve God and use their spiritual gifts. Yet many do it for money, recognition, attention, uh, points with God, etc. And some, I think, are exercising counterfeit gifts, which are not really gifts of the Holy Spirit at all, while others seeking to exercise spiritual gifts in the power of the flesh, they do it for some kind of personal gain. In light of that, I want to challenge you and encourage you to be like the noble Bereans of Acts 17.11, who, the Bible says, received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Especially when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts, I would think that if you have a great desire to know your gifts, exercise your gifts, and serve other members of Christ's body, then you would also be desirous and willing to study and learn all about them in the Word of God. And of course, you're listening to this message, so that's a great start and a good indicator that you are interested in these things. In our next session, uh, God willing, we'll look at the opposite of what we just spoke about. Lord willing, we'll consider spiritual gifts in terms of their spirituality, That's number 16 on your list, their spirituality. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for what we've covered concerning spiritual gifts today. Lord, help us to realize that that each one of us is needed in the body of Christ, that none of us are more important than the others, that we are all necessary for the proper functioning of the body, Help us to know our gifts, discover our gifts, and to exercise those gifts, all for the glory of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will give you the praise, Lord. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.